First Person is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company, who rejoice in the stories of changed lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Learn more at febc.org. I just couldn't believe what I got to see. And every time you go in these awful disaster zones and you're out of that, I guess out of the rubble, you see these amazing stories of God's grace and mercy and these real heroes. Coming up now on First Person, you'll meet Peter Wooding, a Christian journalist based in the UK, but telling stories of God at work in many parts of the world. Welcome to this week's interview. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Before we meet Peter, a quick word about a few of our recent programs you may have missed, including some focusing on the crisis in Ukraine. These interviews and more are all in our audio archive found at firstpersoninterview.com. Just click on the red listen button at the top of the page for a menu of past interviews. A convenient way to listen wherever you are is by downloading our free smartphone app and then downloading interviews to take with you on the go. Search for First Person Interview in your app store. Well, let's meet Peter Wooding. For a number of years, he's been contributing to Christian media, telling the stories of what God is doing in the world through people who serve him. He does so from his home base in the UK, but I sat down with him recently in Nashville, and I began by asking if he would call himself a journalist. I guess so, a journalist. Uh, I also like to see myself as a media missionary, really, because I feel like I've got that in my family blood really my grandparents were missionaries in nigeria where my dad was born and uh but then my dad was a journalist and i feel like both of those passions kind of run through the the wooding blood yes yes and i feel like reporting on missions is a major part of what i do as a journalist i love to report on you know what god's doing around the world and and i ended up being a missionary uh, with youth with a mission for about five years so um yeah so media missionary i, okay. I like that and your accent has betrayed where you <laughs> are from what part of the world so you but you actually live in wales yes so i was i grew up near london uh when my my dad was a Fleet Street tabloid journalist during the 70s. And then in 1982, we moved to Southern California. My dad went to work for a ministry called Open Doors with Brother Andrew. Mm-hmm. I remember very well, yes. And then in 1990, I moved back to the UK to join YWAM. And within a few months, I married a Welsh girl. <laughs> Hence, we ended up living in North Wales. So even though I'm English, American, I've got US citizenship as well. I've lived more than half my life in North Wales. It's yeah. God's country. Yeah. Well, my ancestry is Scottish, so I guess uh, we can still have fellowship together, yes, can't we? Yes, we can. Yeah, we're part of the UK. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, tell me about your uh, faith relationship with Christ. When did that happen for you, Peter? Yeah, so, I mean, from growing up in a small town outside of London, um, I'd always believed in God, but I'd never really heard the gospel shared with me. Then in June 1982, we move as a family to Orange, the city of Orange, and my dad uh, starts taking me to Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa to their Saturday night rock concerts. (laughs) So he took me every week for six months. And finally, I remember the night, there was a uh, preacher called Randy Ziegler, and he spoke my language. He was a surfer dude, and he just made it clear that if I didn't, give my life to Jesus that night, I had no guarantee where I would go. 
and I never realized I actually had to make a decision for myself. I'd always thought, well, I believe in God. Isn't that enough? So that was when it became so clear to me. Wonderful. Uh, but it was the music that really reached me. I thought, these Christian guys can enjoy Christian rock music. The guy that was playing that night was Joe English, who was the drummer for Wings, if people remember him. Mm-hmm. And so we all closed our eyes, and I remember the moment I opened my eyes. Sorry, I get emotional. Uh, my dad was sat next to me. Oh. He said, did you do it? I said, yes. So he walked to the altar with me, oh, and I gave beautiful. my life to the Lord. That was October 1983. Beautiful. Yeah. And, of course, um, I mean, that was the place where the Jesus Revolution, the movie yes. is coming out or and yeah. will be coming out soon. Uh, you were just a few years after the, the heyday of that But whole it was thing. still, um, you know, thriving. And then uh, about a year later, I was baptized in the famous place where they were all baptized, were really? Pirate's L- Cove. Laguna? Yes. Oh, okay. And there's about 500 of us. I remember I was baptized by a former U.S. Marine. I was a bit intimidated by him. His name was Pastor Romain. And he made sure that I was definitely ready to to be baptized that I ha- had given my life to Jesus. But yeah, I was 15 years old, a shy English kid. That's very cool. <laughs> I, I love to hear that story, Peter. I'm sure your dad discipled you, your parents, but who else in your life uh, came alongside through the years to encourage you and train you? And Well, it was it's interesting because I then went to community college in Huntington Beach, uh, uh, met a girl, and um, we started dating. But I started backsliding. And she said to me, you're going to choose between uh, me or your parting. Mm -hmm. And I chose the parting, sadly. But she stuck with me as a friend. She was always there. And whenever I thought, I I really need to come back to church, she'd go with me to Bible studies at Calvary Chapel. And then eventually, after five years in 1988, I remember it being one of these amazing meetings at Calvary Chapel and just recommitting my life to the Lord. It was just one of those powerful moments. Both that night I gave my life back to the Lord, but I also committed my life to missions work, and Mm -hmm. I knew I was supposed to go to youth with a mission Mm -hmm. back in my home country in England. What were some of those early days with YWAM like for you? (laughs) It was amazing. I mean, because I'd been backslidden for so long, the teaching I was getting and the, the fellowship and the you know, edge of your seat street outreach, which was terrifying, just completely turned my world upside down. Mm. We went to Denmark on an outreach and we were doing all the YWAM sketches on the streets, the skits, just preaching to people. It was so exciting. Then I went to Tanzania in East Africa, never seen anything like it, preaching out there. So it was uh, very exciting. And I remember... You know, you'd have all these speakers come and try and recruit you to their YWAM team. And I thought I was going to go to Mercy Ships back then with on the Anastasis, travel the world. And the place I always said I never wanted to go to was Birmingham, the city of my birth in England. It's a very industrial place, uh, not that scenic. And God told me, no, you're to go to Birmingham and start a homeless ministry. Hmm. And the scripture, Isaiah 61, really spoke to me about preaching good news to the poor. So I uh, went to Birmingham. I was like a 21-year-old, young, shy kid, 
going out on the streets of Birmingham, just befriending homeless people, taking them food, taking them blankets. And uh, I, I didn't have enough support to live off, so I was a cleaner in a high school. You call it a custodial? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, custodian. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just wouldn't have it any other way. But then within three months, I met my wife. Uh, we started dating, which was uh, kind of not completely allowed in YWAM days. <laughs> it was called an SR, a special relationship. Oh, I see. Okay. And uh, we went on a date, and then she went off on their outreach for two months to Colombia, to Bogota, hmm. and Caracas in Venezuela. And back then, you didn't have internet or cell phones, so I'd write her these letters. And she said, well, if it's to be, then uh, you know we're to, <laughs> to carry on dating. So I was waiting for that day. She came back. Does she still have the letters, by the way? Yes, she does. Somehow I kind of thought maybe she would save those, Peter. <laughs> so she came back and she said, yes, we can still go out. And then uh, about a year and a half later, we were married. And the first year we were married, we carried on the homeless ministry. She had to do the cleaning job with me. And it was such a great start to our marriage, you know, working together and yeah. any other way, yeah. serving the homeless. I'm sure you can draw lines between those early experiences and how God was using those experiences to prepare you for your life today, your calling today. Yes. Uh, because I, I see you posting from so many different places around the world where, uh, where you're called to report stories. I mean, it's just amazing how God has allowed me as a journalist. I dropped out of community college. I didn't get a degree. I think I can't believe I get to do what I do today. And I just, I think it's in my blood. What my dad always loved was going around the world and finding those, those God stories. Mm -hmm. And one of my highlights was I worked for three years for Samaritan's Purse. Oh. And I got to go to the refugee camps in South Sudan. I went to the Philippines after Typhoon Haiyan. I went to Uganda where they were doing uh, wells, digging wells, uh, Greece reporting on the refugee crisis. Uh, I just couldn't believe what I got to see. And every time you go in these awful disaster zones, you know, a refugee camp of 50,000 people, and you're out of that, I guess out of the rubble, you see these amazing stories of God's grace and mercy and these real heroes. So a funny story was at the refugee camp. Uh, they said, uh, the tent you're sleeping in, George Clooney just slept in that tent. <laughs> he, he, he's got a real passion for helping the people of Sudan. And he liked the Samaritan's Purse compounds because they were very organized. Yeah. <laughs> Someday he'll say, perhaps Peter Wooding slept in this tent yes, just before exactly. you did, George. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll continue getting to know Peter Wooding on this edition of First Person. Stay with us for more in just a moment. With the crisis in Ukraine on all of our minds, I encourage you to visit the website febc.org for the latest developments. The Far East Broadcasting Company has had radio ministry in Ukraine for a number of years now, with many staff located in the country. They continue to update us with news and videos of the situation, which you'll find at febc.org. Also, the podcast, Until All Have Heard with Ed Cannon, can be heard there online with additional information. So keep praying for Ukraine and find the latest updates at febc.org. My guest is Peter Wooding, who is a freelance journalist and a friend and uh, a fellow servant in the kingdom of God as we work in media together. And uh, Peter, I just admire the work you've done through the years. Uh, 
your dad was radio primarily, and uh, you've moved into video now. And you are a freelancer, but you have several associations with uh, with different organizations that allow you to do what you do. Let's talk about some of those. Yeah, it's amazing. So uh, I worked in Christian radio for about 11 years for a station in the UK called UCB. And then in 2008, I, I left them and made that transition from radio to video journalism. And the per- first people to hire me was CBN News through uh, one of the guys that helped them establish a program called Christian World News, which was Stan Jeter. Mm -hmm. So he hired me as a freelance UK correspondent for CBN News. This was 2008 before we had smartphones, before SD cards. So I recorded on a camcorder. Stan was one of the very first guests on this program 11 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked for CBN News, uh, well, on and off for about, 10, 12 years. And then about five years ago, Stan retired and established the Global News Alliance, which is like an international Christian video news exchange. So I am their London bureau chief, Mm -hmm. and I get to reports on stories from the UK, Europe, Africa, all around the world. So I either produce the reports or we work with other ministries that send us video news content. So they're at gna.news. All right, uh, good. It's just amazing that uh, I get to work on these stories. So it's online, but it also gets picked up by various media sources around the world, correct? Yes, yes. So, I mean, with the Ukraine crisis, we've been trying to put out as many video stories of what's happening in Ukraine. So we uh, just posted recently a video of Samaritan's Purse, uh, establishing a mobile hospital in Lviv. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been getting a lot of um, content from people you're very familiar with, FEBC, right. from a lot of their broadcasters just fi- filming on, on their smartphones from the ground in front of a bombed-out building. Yeah, let's talk about that. This is, Someone called this the TikTok war. Now, I know a lot of people don't use TikTok, but it's just a euphemism for social media. And we're seeing uh, what's going on in Ukraine through social media largely these days. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how instant it is today. And, and I've been going into Ukraine for about 14 years. So every day I'm getting videos uh, sent to my phone uh, of bombs going off and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. I, we, I work with a charity called Mercy Projects that helps sponsor families in Ukraine and they support a special needs center. Have they been sending me heartbreaking videos and photos from special needs kids, autistic kids going into the bomb shelters? It's just heartbreaking, but it's great that you can uh, get this out so much more quickly than when we first started out. Yeah. But as you said, you've been going to Ukraine long before the war there, even long before the 2014 beginnings of this whole conflict. What drew you to that country? It's funny because uh, so often when we we read Romans 8.28, God works all things together for good. One door closed on me. I was going to Russia, taking teams to Russia, and uh, I took a team to Beslan, if people remember around 2005, I think it was, this terrible school massacre by Chechen rebels. Yes. And so I took a team uh, the, on the one-year anniversary, but uh, I didn't have a press visa, and I got interrogated by the secret police. So I was on their blacklist, so I couldn't go to Russia anymore. Hmm. But uh, Jeff Thompson, who runs Mercy Projects, I met him at a conference in Warsaw in Poland, <laughs> And he said, well, we've got uh, a special needs center in Ukraine. We've just opened up. 
why don't you bring teams there? And you don't need a visa to go to Ukraine. So the following year I went, that was uh, 2008, the first time I went. I just fell in love with the people there, and I've been going back probably about 20 times, either taking teams or just reporting on what God's doing there. So all these places in the news, I've been to most of them. I know people there. I just I can't quite process what, what yeah. what's happening or what is going to happen. Yeah, there. that's kind of how I feel too. I've been in a few of the places where you've been, and this is this is very personal because we know these folks. We we know their faces. We know their names. We've been in their homes. We've been in their churches, and here they are going through what they're going through now, which is just uh, we can't describe it. I mean, it just the feeling is just strange, isn't it? I, I was just there in October twenty twenty one. And uh, we went to a place called Abdivka, very close to, well, we called it the war zone, but the whole country you could call the war zone now, but Mm -hmm. East Ukraine. And I spent time with this uh, amazing lady from Calvary Chapel, Kiev, who was sent as a missionary as a military chaplain. And uh, just this bold, most bold woman. And we got to go to a military base and she got to share her story with them. She prays with them. She just helps them practically. And I just keep thinking of her every day what she must be going to. But yes. people like that on the front lines, literally, uh, it's incredible. I've also been reporting on a remarkable Christian evangelistic media campaign by a group called um, Global Christian Media Ministries run by a guy called Hanu Hauke. Oh, I know Hanu. Know well. Yes, I do, yes. And we've been reporting on their uh, campaign where they had these uh, power to change billboards put up in Mariupol. Before they even know there'd be an invasion, they've been on TV sharing testimonies and giving out thousands and thousands of these evangelistic booklets that are in Ukrainian and Russian. And I've been interviewing Hanu regularly, and he's been sending me amazing footage where they literally got to go into the tunnels with the soldiers and pray with them, witness to them, lead them to Christ. And the, the billboards are still up, and they couldn't go to Russia, but the Russian troops are seeing these billboards now. So again, Romans eight twenty eight. Strange but true, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to take you back to Beslan, because um, that was the, the place a number of years ago where a school building was attacked by Russian terrorists. And... I don't know how you felt. I felt walking through that building, it was one of the saddest places on earth. I mean, they per, they preserved that building just the way it was the day after the attack. They've, they've not uh, raised the building. They've not improved the building. They've done nothing to it. And you walk through it, I imagine it's still that way today. The, it's a memorial. The two things that most sort of stay in my memory, and this is like 17 years ago, is the um, the Ossetian women? They call them Ossetians. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I've never heard crying like it. It's like wailing. Mm. I just remember that sound of these widows, these mothers, just wailing. Yeah. And as though you say, we went into the gymnasium. The roof's almost gone. It was like burnt out. And the thing that really got me was there were candles with pictures of the oh the children. About three hundred and thirty, I think, were killed. And I just got on my knees and I prayed and I thought of my daughters. I got three daughters. They were, you know, maybe five, six year old, years old at the time. I just thank God. 
and uh, just sort of quietly walked out of the building and I just had to have a moment and I'm sort of a middle class shy Englishman and I saw this man wailing big Russian guy and he was just sobbing probably had lost his child and you know when your heart starts thumping and the Holy Spirit just moves you to go do something and I just went and put my arm around him and he just wept on my shoulder I thought I can't speak his language we're from completely different worlds but that moment I thought this is why I was here of, of all the reasons I come all this way, I came here to be with that man at that moment. Mm-hmm. Isn't it a privilege to be a Christian journalist? Yes. And that you can show that compassion and that empathy. Is there a particular verse of Scripture or passage, just something that really kind of it speaks to your heart continually in doing what you're doing? Well, I think it's the two I've mentioned. Isaiah 61, you know, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor. You know, that's where Jesus would be in these these difficult, hard-to-reach places, just sitting with them. And then Romans eight twenty eight, like I say, God works all things together for good. I'll just share a quick story. Sure. One of my trips to Ukraine, one of my first trips was to a place called Chikasi. And I went there with an amazing guy who'd been ministering in the prisons right through the communist days when you couldn't take Bibles in, so they memorized them. And Atoli Peripolitsa was his name, just an amazing guy. And I had a tummy bug, and I felt so ill. And he said, Brother Peter, you will preach in the prison tonight. (laughs) So I thought, oh, I, I haven't got anything prepared. I don't have my Bible with me. I've left it back at the house. I feel so ill. But he was one of these guys you couldn't say no to. So we go into this prison, there's these really intimidating towers, the light shining down, barbed wire everywhere. It's just so intimidating. We get into the chapel, and there was such a peace about going into this chapel. And as I get up to go and preach, this man just appears out of nowhere and hands me an English Bible. And again, I quote from Romans 8.28, and I preached to these men that were rapists, murderers. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Your prison cells can't separate you. Whatever you've done wrong in your life, Christ can forgive you tonight. I thought, wow, what an amazing experience. God used me in the midst of my feeling ill and inadequate to preach to these guys, again, from a completely different well, to me, I think that just sums up God's grace. It does indeed. How grateful we are for people like Peter who roam the earth and bring us the stories of the building of God's kingdom through acts of service. Our guest has been Peter Wooding, self-described as a media missionary who makes his home in Wales. For more information about First Person and these weekly interviews, please visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. There you'll also find a schedule of what's coming up in the weeks ahead. Also, join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. The Ministry of the Far East Broadcasting Company extends to 50 countries of the world. In Ukraine, FEBC staff are enduring great hardship, but have not missed a moment of broadcasting God's message of hope and life in Jesus' name to Ukrainians and Russians alike. For the latest for prayer, please visit febc.org, febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.